Karin, what can I say? It's always an absolute pleasure having you back. I'm, I have to say, I'm getting so used to these uh, podcasts that we have together that uh, when a week passes and we don't have one, uh, I almost suffer from withdrawal symptoms. So uh, thank you. For, <laughs> thanks for I coming back. I miss you too. I miss <laughs> you too. Yes. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great to hear. Um, and yeah, I mean, as always, with our very um, flexible talks, you suggested another fantastic topic for us, uh, very different to what we've uh, talked about in the past, but then again, in many ways, also very similar, uh, depending on the perspective you take. So um, your suggestion was that we talk about courage. Courage is not daredevil action it's not lack of fear it's resistance and not um settling in and going into utter despair uh, so i'm trying to surround it by that which it is not and maybe i can start with my own experience where there was fear, because uh, fear is the initiation of courage, either your own or the fear of those you care for or those you want to help. Um, I was thinking back uh, during the first years of my life when the war was raging and um, the only thing I saw was bombs and the uh, German counter action. So the sky was always alight and I didn't like, I, I, I didn't like it, but I was at the same time, I couldn't stay away from it because uh, going into darkness, meaning going into the basement was worse. And um, a friend of my father's kind of helped me by uh, rewriting a uh, little verse for the um, uh, land of uh, milk and honey. And it ended, uh, if, if the enemy comes in, they will sink in the rice that surrounds you and that will protect you. A child with the imagination of a, of a, a mountain of rice um, where one could hide was all I needed to stop the fear, basically. Um, at least the, uh, the fear of for myself, not necessarily for my family, but um, it got me through life with um, a feeling of if there's some danger, I I get very, very cool and collected. I may break apart after it's all over, hmm. but I can act and I can think straight. So I'm lucky in that sense, but I've, 
seen many, many who had uh, had the, uh, the opposite reaction and I always felt sorry for them, but maybe they felt sorry for me because uh, fear is a very rational, irrational and rational reaction to uh, scary things. And if you don't scare, you may be in greater danger than those uh, who um, kind of give in to fear. But then the next situations where there was danger, it wasn't the danger for me, but it was the danger for the people where we were caring for, the uh, our colleagues uh, who were under under uh, political pressure or who, who were under uh, threat of life. Um, and I had to react and I could react very coolly, very straightforward. I've driven uh, friends from uh, Germany to Prague to the Ben Con Congress um, while they were under threat of death from the PKK. And we had talked to the police. The police was there every 50 kilometers. They were waiting for us um, in the center of the uh, Autobahn, the highway. Um, that other people said, you know, how could you do that? Weren't you afraid? And I said, no. Uh, and so it wasn't courage. It was, it was simply, I did what I had to do, period. No, no buts, no ifs. Uh, a similar thing happened later with a friend who, and colleague who was under threat of death by the Russian mafia, which was just as bad. And we uh, got him out where he lived. Uh, he was handed, he and his wife were handed over to me and I could bring them to a safe place. Um, we again had to talk to the police and they were guarding them. But again, it, other people were, or even close people close by said, you know, aren't you afraid? Isn't that dangerous? Um, and I said, no, if you don't let them scare you, it's not dangerous. Later, I drove them uh, again under police protection uh, to another city where they found a, another safe place. And um, these things were um, normal. That to me was normal. I was not afraid. And this is when I th was thinking, what is courage? Courage is the thing to do something although you are afraid. Um, daredevil actions, they are not afraid. That is doing things without really thinking about the fear or thinking about the dangers. And then you have those who respond with resistance, which takes courage, and others respond with utter despair and paralysis. And that to me is the resignation is something I, I cannot live with within myself.
I see it with people and I understand it utterly. But resignation is not the way I deal with life. I, that's, that's impossible mm-hmm. for me. So I have a great respect for all the resistance movements in France, the resistance movement movement in England, uh, the uh, partisan movement in former Yugoslavia against the Nazis. And that takes courage because you have to rely either on yourself if you are alone or on the movement, on the community that helps you uh, do the right thing for the for the the people who need you. That is courage. Only oh, to me, only that is courage. So we could almost draw a line to the situation in Afghanistan today. Um, what has been happening there has been a an imp- implosion of a country, a resignation into what they didn't want. And now we have the movement away from it, the flight away from it. And I'm sure that there are forces that are going to build resistance sometime because um, this theocracy, the threat of theocracy and um, absolute, uh, almost machismo, is threatening not just to the people in the country who who are not on, in line with the Taliban, but it threat it threatens all of us uh, around. Um, I am thinking in terms of the parallels to the novels by Margaret Atwood. Uh, The Handmaid's Tale is the novel about um, a dystopia, the opposite of utopia. It has aspects of Nazism, of theocracy, of all the restrictive and uh, anti-human kinds of societies that have existed and will exist. And you have basically a scenario that won't let you be surprised at what is happening in Afghanistan. And this is that this is where I start out from. It's uh, it's life, my own life. It's our experience today. It's um, the experience in many, many cultures in many uh, at many uh, different times and also in literature mm. and this is why I'm I'm really upset and um, not having worked with a lot of uh, Afghans um, writers and and for for many years uh, maybe not as closely as with um, colleagues from other countries but um, I know what they have been going through I know what they are going through I know what those who found refuge for instance in Germany went through when although they were integrated and had a job and had uh, done everything that was expected of them were 
uh, resettled in Afghanistan, and there they are now. And this is where my heart goes. Mm. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm not going to play devil's advocate with you because generally speaking devil's playing devil's advocate is to challenge the person with whom you are communicating and that's not that's not my approach at all especially not with you um but yes not, you can not, yes please do I'm, I'm sure i can but uh because i'm i'm more than convinced of your intellectual capacity to <laughs> to respond and cut me down so um yeah my, my awareness of my fear um there would uh, prevent me from doing that but i mean i've I started today with one of my sessions and I talked about uh, a letter written by um, Zahra Karimi, who is a, uh, a female director uh, of Afghani origin. Af actually, she's the head of um, Afghanistan's um, film uh, industry, uh, mm -hmm. as it were, of the state-owned film company um, established in 1968. And she, she wrote about her um, intense fear um, as to what will uh, the consequences be for the arts, uh, for artists. Uh, but obviously, she uh, specifically mentioned women, girls, uh, and uh, yeah, people who had perhaps operated with international uh, organizations. And, mm -hmm. and this was her fear with regards to uh, the, the, the sort of forthcoming uh, Taliban government um, but then just just before we began our talk, the, the Taliban held a press conference. I don't know if you... I heard, I saw some of it. Yeah, okay. So the spokesman, uh, Zabihullah Mujahid, uh, I apologize for my pronunciation, but so, some of the quotations of his, uh, I, I think, deserve uh, mention. So we are committed to the media within our cultural framework. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, nothing should be against Islamic values. Um, you in the media should pay attention to our shortcomings so we can serve the nation. Okay, so this is, the language there is um, reconciliatory. It's not aimed at provocation. It is saying, take a measured approach to us. Um, I would like to assure the media that we are committed to the media within our cultural frameworks. Private media can continue to be free and independent. Um, he goes on to say, the youth who have grown up here, we do not want them to leave. They are our assets. Uh, furthermore, we have pardoned everybody for the benefit of stability or peace in Afghanistan. And uh, one more quotation with regards to women, um, that women would be entitled to work and study, he also mentioned, within the frameworks of our Islamic laws. So oh, they're definitely- Sharia. Right. Yeah, under Sharia law, absolutely, yes. yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not perhaps the the aggressive tone that we perhaps had come to expect from them. He did also mention in an earlier uh, statement that we are not the same Taliban that people saw between 1996 and 2001. 
He said, since then, we have had time to mature and to reflect. Um, and people will see that this is a different government than that which people saw before. So um, there is there is an element there. The which tone indicates, is different. Absolutely. The tone yeah. is different. I don't quite trust it. I, I want <laughs> to see what they do, not what Absolutely. they say. Absolutely. Yeah. But this is the case also of of our own Western governments. Of course. Yeah, as in because I, I, I mean, unfortunately, we do have this. Um, what's the best way of saying it? Yeah, this inherent mistrust of politicians because all they care about is being reelected, isn't it? Isn't mm-hmm. they will make whatever promise is necessary to get the votes, and then thereafter, it doesn't matter. I'm absolutely. Uh, in accord with you on one on the level that the Taliban's tone has changed. I'm not quite sure whether the change is substantial. Um, I'm not uh, slapping our politicians on the back mm. because uh, they have failed uh, not just Afghanistan over the last 20 years or even before, before the Russians were there, the French were there. Um, Afghanistan has been rolled over so many times. Um, I'm surprised they can still breathe. And much of that is um, should be chalked up on uh, on our um, Western political scale. Um, that's not. I'm. I'm I'm not defending anything that comes from the other side, but I'm wary of uh, outright believing what they say. Mm. Let me put it that way. And I said, you, uh, the the older I got, the more opinionated I'm getting. (laughs) Which is wonderful. Um, But yeah, I mean, you're completely right. I, I think it's fair to say. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Um, and, you know, people are kind of focused pretty much on the, the Taliban's uh, initial steps. It doesn't necessarily bode well for the, should we say, the established government of Afghanistan when they, you know, OK, it's unfair to say turn tail and run. Um, but the president left while members of his government were negotiating with the right. Taliban. Right. And th- that that's a and they didn't know he'd left until after he'd left. And that that doesn't really sit right, does it? It, it didn't sit right for, for weeks before when uh, the Taliban were taking over uh, or were invited to take over uh, one city after the other uh, without any kind of um, counter uh, countermeasures, uh, neither politically nor militarily. Um no, the, the, the Afghan uh, government really collapsed. This is what I call implosion. It was a um, retraction of everything they had. And if you think of what went in there in terms of particularly military and uh, training, police training uh, for, for years and years from all sides, um, that there was no resistance whatsoever. Even when there was fighting, there was no resistance from the Afghan army. Wouldn't this reflect, um, however, the loss of faith 
in their own government. Because if I, I mean, if I put myself in a position of a soldier, if I believe, if I sincerely believe that my government is there for my people, then I have a feeling that I, I, will, yes. I will give my life to that government. Yes. But if yes. I know that, look, the guy, the guy sitting 100, 300, 500 miles away from me, safe in his palace, doesn't give a damn. No. So You're then right. why, why would right. I fight for that person? I'm not, I'm not uh, blaming uh, the soldiers. I'm blaming the, the government, those mm. in power, because the soldiers uh, act on order. They do not go anywhere without order. We even see it with the Taliban. The Taliban order was don't fight. Coming into Kabul, for instance, mm. now. Yep. And um, like good soldiers, they went in and did not fight. Uh, okay, there were some fights and they were starting to uh, check where the... Um, the personnel, the Afghan personnel of uh, foreign embassies were hidden away, basically, to get them out uh, safely. Um, of course, they, they would um, go in there trying to secure their power base. All of this is, is absolutely normal and it's, it's, it's fine. Um, I'm just hold, not holding my breath. Yeah, I don't I know it's... what's going to happen. We six week, uh, six months after today, um, we should talk again about this situation. Well, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. I'm. I, I've read many, many medieval histories where there have been uh, battles, there have been sieges, and the the attacking army has eventually entered the city, and the soldiers that went in. Uh, the officers obviously stayed out, let the off let the soldiers do whatever they needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in sacking a town or city, they then gathered up the spoils. And uh, invariably, those spoils were not only uh, gold or silver, but they also took the people that they wanted to take and, and did what they did with them. So mm -hmm. um, this appears to be the most one of the most unfortunate elements of uh, of war and conflict that has developed for thousands of years. Um, so it was refreshing, I, and I don't want to anybody to think that I'm pro Taliban. I'm I'm not pro or anti anybody in a, in an arena which I do not understand. And Afghanistan is definitely an arena I do not understand enough to be able to voice too much of an opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, the fact that they sent in initially unarmed soldiers, I'm hopeful. It bodes well. It may not, as you say, in six months when the dust has settled, when the government has formed, and when life has sort of adjusted to its uh, its new method, then we will be able to look at it and say whether or not um, this was better or worse for Afghanistan than the, uh, the government that existed before. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. No, I... I uh was uh, very happy that uh, their tone changed, that their action now changed going into uh, city after city. Um, I have problems with theocracy um, because the rules that are applied 
cannot be challenged from inside and they cannot be challenged from the outside. Uh, democratic rules can be challenged from the in and the outside and uh, autocratic rules cannot. Mm. And this is this is where, where I'm hanging in between there, I must say. Yeah. And yeah. this is um, if, if I knew straight away what to think and how to think in terms of the future, um, I'd be happier. Sure, of course. I mean, it, it does also, you know, bring to light the question, you know, is democracy in itself an exportable good? Um, because I am unconvinced, as in I, you know, I've also read the quotation, democracy, it's a terrible system, but it's the best one that we've got at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in some ways I agree, in some ways I say, well, actually, we don't really have democracy. We haven't had a democracy in over 2000 years. What we have is representative democracy. It's not quite the same thing. Right. Um, and people tend to overlook that, uh, you know, that, that, that slight difference with the terminology. And right now uh, we have democracies and you see how different they are. Absolutely. And, uh, there is not one system uh, that you can really um, see that um covers everything that ide- ideally should be covered by democracy and uh, we don't have we have types of or or appro- uh, approaching systems or systems approaching democracy but we don't have democracy mm-hmm. as pretty much uh, the same it was with with communism we had systems approaching communism but we never had a communist, uh, a, go- a real communist government anywhere. No, and in, and even after popular revolutions, where the idea was to move the the, the reins of power away from the elite and more towards uh, the people, this was soon somehow manipulated, and either a completely new elite was introduced, mm-hmm. or a new face was introduced, which was still subservient to the previous elite, but not quite as obviously. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of talking about the French Revolution. I'm talking about the, you know, the revolution, which uh, the, I suppose they call it the Great Revolution in, 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 in England, which took place before, which took off, you know, the king's head as well at mm-hmm. the time. And yet the monarchy was sort of still continued. You know, um, yes, they changed the orientation uh, a bit. They, they gave more powers to parliament, um, but the elite was still the same Absolutely, as that which yes. existed before for, for hundreds of years yeah and the and the french revolution was the same they they took they killed the the king but then they installed an emperor um and so you just simply went from one elite to another yeah this this french revolution um basically was uh, used as the model for all revolutions saying every or, or the analysis of the French Revolution said that every revolution has three phases, the revolution, the counter-revolution, and the turmoil. Hmm. So, you know, the massacre, the the massacres of uh, those who were the revolutionaries um, was the third type of massacre in, in during that revolution, the first massacre was on uh, was uh, in the rain, in the uh, spheres 
of the old elite, mm-hmm. and then uh, came the the uh, the the elite that wanted to come up again, uh, come up after the uh, after the monarchy, mm-hmm. and then the third massacre was among the revolutionaries themselves, yeah. and then they switched to another empire. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as it's, it seems to me to be the case that democracy is a very good introduction for those who can you know, seize the moment, as it were, fly into power and you know, assume control in the name of the people, establish a system which allows them to essentially forever maintain control. Um, and yet the, the most successful ones are those systems which somehow manage to convince the people that they are working on their behalf. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're still at the point <laughs> that we don't have a democracy. Right. Well, uh, to some degree, um, what really keeps me thinking I want democracy is I want the free press, I want freedom of expression, and I've, I was want habeas corpus, mm-hmm. the English version from uh, uh, 1066. Mm-hmm. Um, I want the freedom to live for everybody. Yeah, the right to live, the human right. Yes, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, as you say, you know, habeas corpus um, has since been um, altered a little bit in the light of terrorism. So therefore, oh, they've said that if people are uh, tried under the law or if they are potentially uh, co- guilty of having committed an act of terrorism, then habeas corpus can be suspended um, for a specific period of time. Um, but then again, there are some people who have remained in incarceration for a number of weeks, if not months, without any charge. Yes. Um, and yeah, I think um, Julian Assange uh, currently is one such person who is mm-hmm. in jail without ha- having actually been uh, charged or even convicted of any kind of crime. So, yeah, I agree with yes. you. Mm. Well, his his resistance was... Um, he went. He went there with there with open eyes. He resisted by opening up the uh, archives that uh, really called the government to uh, the American government to task. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, it, what, one of the interesting elements is that a person who who benefited from the. Uh, the release of many of the documents that came later on in the period of WikiLeaks, uh, mm-hmm. tr- Donald Trump, uh, you know, he he pursued um, Assange. He wanted to have him extradited and he wanted to have him tried in an American court, even though he benefited from that because Julian Assange also um, was a key figure in the 2016 election when releasing uh, certain emails pertaining to Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. So, yeah, there is a lot of yeah. <laughs> the story there isn't clear either because there is this uh, a British politician who you know, I, I won't name him, but uh, I mean he he's a friend of Trump's, um, but he who was also seen entering the Ecuadorian embassy to speak with Assange. So yes, I love that, him. I love him. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, so there is a lot of uh, a lot of the story that we don't really know either. There is no straightforward justice. No. Absolutely and there's not. no straightforward um, democracy. And there's no straightforward humanism. Um, I think we start from the premises that we can have or we can build the ideal. We will never be able to build an ideal world or even live by our ideal pro uh, program. Mm -hmm. um, we have to remain flexible and um, look at the world again every, basically every four weeks. It has changed by that time. Yeah, it's amazing how quickly uh, yes. Does it not that, uh, that that this is the case? Um, but what I what I also find is you know through conversations with you, um, through some of the material that I'm sort of encouraged to read, uh, you know I tend to understand things in a different way. I, I see my 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 eyes open, you know to to realities that they're not new realities. They're realities that have always existed but that I was incapable of seeing. You know, and I find that in itself fascinating. Reality has so many perspectives that we shouldn't be surprised that we have one perspective and then all of a sudden discover a different one. I discovered a different one yesterday. I'm, I'm still mulling over uh, what a friend of mine was talking about, saying, you know, the the um, he doesn't think uh, that the um, the uh, translators should be uh, brought out of the country because they worked against their own people, and I I don't see that. I'm I, I'm still debating in my mind with with that friend who. Uh, was sure that they were basically um, doing the same thing that the uh, dissidents in the GDR were doing. Mm. Uh, checking on their own family and reporting it to the uh, to the ministry. A bit like the Stasi, you mean? Yes, oh. yes. And to me, the translators in Afghanistan uh, are no... Stasi group. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's there. Is, there are many different cases in history where you can say it's it's no longer a defense to say I was following orders. Yeah, as in, mm -hmm. I, I know you alluded to this earlier with regards to military personnel. You know, but when we're talking about, for example, a crime against humanity, as has been established uh, with regards to genocides and and so on, you know, that is not a defense to say I was just following orders. And that's, no. I think that's an established principle which we can agree with. What these translators perhaps were doing, can that be categorized in the same way? I'm not sure. No. I, I, don't think, I don't think it would be fair to do so. Um, and also we've got to you know, identify Afghanistan, it's a, it's a poor country for the majority of the people. They, mm -hmm. you know, and, and if you can establish a skill or an opportunity which allows you to feed your family, allows you to grow within society, then, you know, only, uh, you know, there are many, not many people who would say, no, I'm sorry, 
I'm not going to do that. International communication would not be possible without translators and interpreters, mm -hmm. as uh, world literature wouldn't be um, world literature without uh, translated literature. Um, it's not that I would defend every every uh, translator or, or writer who, who uh, informed in a way um, the foreign the foreign embassies or the foreign uh, forces about what was going on inside their country. Uh, I'm sure that you have all kinds, like everywhere in the world, you have all kinds of uh, reasons. One is material. I want to feed my family. The other one is I want some kind of better life for all of us, meaning look at the West. They have such a good life. Um, it would be lovely to have similar situations. So if we help them, they help us, and maybe they help us also get um, a better life here. Um, I have the feeling that many of the translators had been outside of the country because they're English or they're German, from what I hear, or also they're French, it was excellent. It was not learnt in Afghanistan without uh, close contact to native speakers. So uh, there's also a intercommunication in terms of political and political and cultural aspects between translators and those they translate for and with. Mm. So um, they are their eyes are wider open. And there, I mean, um, Lena was telling me about a German CDU politician who um, wanted to send home, and, I, and by home I mean back to Afghanistan, a, a number of uh, refugees and asylum seekers. And uh, upon his 66th birthday, um, apparently the uh, plane that returned had carried 66 uh, yes. Afghanis, and he considered this a gift. I can't remember his name. Um, oh, our beloved interior minister. That's ah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, this kind of statement is, I think, beneath a minister of any European country. Uh, it's but not I would just say. petty. It's it's awful. It's uh, horrific to just to play word games uh, yes. of this type with people's lives. Um, but looking at the situation now. Yeah, there shouldn't really be any doubt, should there, on what to do with uh, Afghani refugees and asylum seekers, should there? Uh, that was my the only positive aspect of uh, what happened. I thought they won't send them back home again uh, because there were quite a number of Afghans, uh, young people who had uh, learned German, who had jobs, they were trying to get into college or into kind of uh, permanent uh, jobs, they were sent back home. A friend of mine has been working closely with Afghan youth, so I got all that information and I suffered with them. Uh, they were sent home and they at that point, it was already clear that something 
was going on that they shouldn't be sent home. And then German politicians, I'm talking about German politicians because I know what their arguments were. Uh, they said, you know, any Afghan youth who went counter our law can be sent back. And that's what they did. Yeah. And the thing is, when when I mean, there's no way that the uh, the German government or indeed any Western government was unaware of the the developing crisis in Afghanistan. I'm sure they said, if we don't send these guys back or as many as we can back soon, um, after a certain point, we will no longer be able to justify it. So I, I'm pretty sure they got as many out uh, as they could. Um, and yeah. I'm 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 not sure as to how how safe those people will continue to be, even though the, the Taliban has promised that there will be no uh, there will be mass arrests. Yeah, yeah, no, um, they won't. Uh, the the um, Afghans here uh, will not be sent back. That there's an embargo on uh, their uh, repatriation. Um, Yes, I'm sure that they knew something was coming and something was going to stop them being able to send them back. Um, it shows, I saw the news today that um, German government said uh, we were in touch with all other governments, Western governments, our allies and the United States, and we had decided not to uh, evacuate our personnel before yesterday. They could have, they knew weeks ago from their embassies how dangerous it was going to be. And they all joined together and said, we'll wait until it really is necessary. And this is something I don't understand. That's political uh, uh, suicide. Mm. I mean, the unfortunate thing is that there are so many precedents have already been established where the politicians come up with a, you know, a sentence of some form which justifies an action or an, an, an inaction. And, and, and there, there is some kind of logic. There is some kind of purpose to what they are saying. But they can only do this because most people are unaware of the complete story. Yes. So if I, you know, being ignorant in many ways with regards to the details, and if I am you know, inclined to believe the representatives of my democratically elected government, then I'm going to believe some of the crap that they come out with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the other hand, if I'm, you know, if there is a slight bit of doubt, then I'm going to try to read between the lines, and I'm going to say, one minute, you're pulling the wool over my eyes, yeah. because. You know, you've, you're sitting there comfortably in your you know, very plush media offices um, and you're telling me that you think it was better to leave your employees um, you know, at the hands of a potentially, not necessarily, but potentially aggressive enemy that you've been Absolutely. fighting for 20 years. Absolutely. You know, and, and this, this, oh, we are so uh, humane. We uh, want uh, all our... Um, 
translators and also our co-workers uh, of the press. We want all of those out and maybe even get all the women activists out because they are in danger and so on. This was pulling wool over our eyes. You know, how, how good are they really? How many people do they really try to get out? And what would they, what would they sacrifice in terms of uh, bureaucracy and so on and so forth to get them out? This is where I, where I uh, get very angry because we've had this before. We had um, working for, for uh, German and international pen for Heinrich Böll House, where we had scholar, uh, scholarship uh, recipients. We could not get out of Africa because the politicians and their embassies were afraid they would stay in Germany. They were coming in for one or two years, and of course, many couldn't go back. But these, this was a trickle of people who um, were trying to get out. No, they were, first of all, they wanted some sa safe place to keep on writing or keep on uh, painting or keep on making mu uh, music. And uh, that is where I must say, wherever we could, we got them out. And sometimes we got them out also uh, by sophisticated means. Meaning we went against all, uh, all uh, aspects of uh, Do's and don'ts. Mm -hmm. By hook or by crook. <laughs> uh, right, right. Um, sometimes we did that openly, sometimes clandestinely. And uh, I had no qualms of being subversive in trying to help people's, people to survive. Mm. I mean, I've... I've long been of the opinion that um, political analysis, which comes through to us at the, the sort of in the mass public view, is is inherently flawed. Uh, and and I'll, I'll use the examples of the 2016 US election, where they said essentially that most women will vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, most African-Americans would also vote for Hillary Clinton because that's the way that it's, uh, you know, it seems to be the case. And then... Um, You know, after the election, they found out that actually, one minute, a very sizable portion of these groups also voted for Trump. Mm -hmm. um, and and I, it always reminds me of my days when I was working in the Armenian community, because from outside, people would probably say, oh, look, these guys are so united. They, they all go to church. They have their schools. They have their community centers. They organize their events and parties. And people would say, they're wonderful. They're all united. Um, but the truth is that most of these little communities, whether they are you know, Armenian or or Jewish or uh, or African in origin or any other kind of community, they have their divisions. They have different kinds of groups within them with different interests, different characters. And it really gets on my nerves when people say, oh, they're just Brits. They're all like that. Yeah. No, there are divisions. There are differences. And then you have... Uh, the blind eye of the politicians who cannot analyze correctly because 
they think in terms of their own um, priorities when they look at a different uh, at another country. Uh, I'm thinking also of the embassies. I'm thinking of the uh, secret services. I've heard people from the secret service say the dumbest things about what is happening in Germany, for instance, or even uh, what was happening in England when I was living there or in, in America. Um, they were they were not necessarily the brightest. They were not necessarily the most informed because they had all blind spots, like we all have. But nobody would put the burden on us to believe everything we say. Mm. I hope not, because they should think for themselves. Uh, but we were supposed to listen and believe everything the embassy said, everything the secret services said, and so on, or the government. No. And this is this has been eroded. Oh, definitely. I mean, if we look back through the last, okay, if we, it really depends on when you begin this trend. But if we look at, for example, elections from 1945 onwards, we would see. It, generally speaking, okay, there are one or two exceptions, but generally speaking, the, the level of participation for elections has dwindled bit by bit, year on year. Uh, the number of people that engage in a political process has gone down. Um, political party affiliation has gone down year mm -hmm. on year, more or less. Uh, trade union membership and activism has gone down, more or less. Um, and, and at the same time, the lack of faith with regards to politics, politicians and political institutions, uh, you know, that has increased because of a greater level of awareness, the information age, uh, the Internet. We are more aware of what is happening. The, the scandals are more public, more immediate. Um, so, you know, there is a correlation between, I suppose, the increase in education that followed after the Second World War, increase in awareness and the dissatisfaction of the populace? Uh, the populace are better uh, educated, which I think is, is the most important part, because uh, this um, distrust and a dislike of political action has been uh, with there with any kind of um, social, uh, political, socio-political uh, community through the ages. Um, the only thing is we are more aware of what we, what is going on around us in, in, a, in a superficial way. We don't know very, we don't know the depth of the differences and the depth of the shenanigans and the depth of what is happening. We know a lot, but we know a lot of bullshit stuff sometimes. I think quite often, um, also because we're fed it so so thoroughly um, yeah. that we we chew it out and regurgitate it um, you know, ad nauseum. Um, yeah, it, it is. Uh, it's a trying uh, situation. Um, I think um, t for me, it was always the way out was 
to uh, look at several papers, to look at several uh, stations, and I stayed out of the social media. Mm. Very, very purposeful. Fully. I, I can appreciate that. I mean, I, I sort of jumped in um, to uh, some elements of social media, not straight away, but um, after a few years. Um, and, and then I had to withdraw myself completely. And I've only tentatively taken some sort of uh, very, very small steps back in. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I've allied myself to um, book groups, for example, The Wheel of Time, or I'm following uh, specific authors and people who are fans of authors because um, I, I find these groups to be safer. I find these groups to be welcoming. I find these groups to be uh, respectful of people who have a certain knowledge within the story because they appreciate yes. the journey that mm -hmm. other people have shared. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that in itself is fascinating as just a social concept, you know, because you've you've walked the same path with regards to reading a certain kind of book. People the selection, are, yeah, the yeah. selection of of your readers and the selections of those you listen to, I think is very important. And I think we have we have to learn that by um, um, by not just by the years, but by the experience. Um, of what is happening around us. And I think uh, I there are certain things I would like the press to do, to be more looking across their, über den Tellerrand hinaus, across <laughs> the borders that confines them. Mm -hmm. um, and politicians to sometimes shut up earlier. Sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, I think. But you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. As in, you know, I think I've done a number of different kinds of uh, sessions, communication sessions. It's not just English language. It's also anti-discrimination. It's also communication and so on. And, mm -hmm. you know, the key advice, the key piece of advice that I've, I've always given and I always will continue to give is listen listen to what people say because to simply jump in with an opinion um no matter how intelligent that opinion is if it's not respectful or aware of the people with whom you are communicating it has no value yes L listen learn and um look around uh not just your own uh, front yard but look out and uh, deal with, think in terms of other cultures. We have, the, we have the benefit of having so many cultures accessible in our country. And nobody really goes out to make contact and make friends and learn. Because we have to learn from all of, all of the people in our country. And everyone in our country has to learn from us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been uh, as as Europe as a continent struggling with integration. You know, it's you know, immigration isn't the problem. It's integration that has raised uh, you know challenges, conflicts, yes. 
And, and the problem is that there's never really been a proper policy of integration. And that only stems from, I think, a lack of effort, uh, a lack of interest from the authorities. And as you say, um, you know, if we have people that move into our building or our street, um, go and welcome them. Find out who they are, what they're like, what kind of interests they have, what language they speak and so on. Um, and then you'd automatically knock down barriers. Absolutely. And it's uh, it's true in in um, better parts of the town as it is in uh, less uh, affluent parts of town. You can do that in, in a house like mine uh, for stories. And uh, I'm just now planning a... a, a uh, an evening with with something to drink and to eat, to have all of them here to get to know the newest uh, accumulation in our uh, group of people in the house. He comes from uh, Argentina. Um, I've done that since I moved in here. Um, every time a new person came in, I, I invited everybody and then it went around later. Uh, for an evening meal or, or snack and uh, a drink, just to exchange ideas and get to know one another, which I think is so important. Um, that is, um, I think this, this I haven't done that for uh, quite some time now, uh, because the last people who moved in there came about five years ago. So in five years, I haven't done it. And it's amazing that um, not everybody picks up on it. Um, and I have not heard from many people around town that they are doing that in their own vicinity to get to know people. And you, yeah. the best thing to get to know is to sit down and talk and uh, look at the face and uh, have a drink. And, and since I... Uh, I'm not, uh, I can't really move about as I want to and I cannot stand as long as I want to. So I cooking, whatever. Uh, I simply order uh, sushi mm. and have a, have a couple of bottles of wine and some coffee and some tea and see what happens. In the beginning, when I moved in, we had lots of children here. This is a house where 15 children were born. And there were times when I was the uh, resident grandmother with <laughs> three baby phones at once. Wow. Uh, so it, it always was something very much alive. And that's why I felt very, very comfortable here in Cologne. But I learned to be neighborly in America, not in Germany. Uh, in Germany, you invite friends and uh, relatives, but not neighbors you don't know or you don't associate with. Um, in America, that is that's a pioneer country. Everybody who moves anywhere needs to be sure that they are accepted if they need help. You know, if if they moved west, they and there was a hut, they needed to be sure that they got something to eat and uh, some place to, to sleep. So hospitality is one of the big, big assets of America. Mm. 
Mm. And uh, I learned that with 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 a very very open heart because my mother my mother was the same way. So here I could I could really um, move freely and uh, with uh, without any restrictions from people around saying why are you doing this? Nobody asked why I was doing it. They they joined in in America as they do here. And so also, yeah, yeah, I mean, also it's it's, it's, it's interesting you raised uh, you know the, the the story or the the term pioneer because um, you know the pioneers you know found safety in numbers to be yes. the only way in which they could survive yes. in unknown territory and Absolutely. so. And this is where the term circling the wagons comes from. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, while you were speaking, I also thought so re recently there's been a, uh, a sort of a technological movement that has begun called Safe Circles, which um, targets the creation of uh, sort of startup technologies, which can be used to provide women and girls safety um, either in their place of work or home or education mm -hmm. because there have been over the last not only over the last few years but well since time immemorial um, yeah, an extremely uh, unequal um, amount of abuse um, uh, both physical sexual and verbal towards women and so that they this, this idea is to create safe circles of creating safe space um, and by, you know, making yourself known to your neighbors, to your immediate vicinity, you also come to understand where you can go when there is a need, yes. you know, um, yes. and, and I think that is an, you know, an automatic consequence of breaking down the barriers, um, mm -hmm. which you have so successfully done. Well, um, I must say I'm also doing this as a thank you to my neighbor. Uh, when I when she moved, no, she moved in to the uh, next door about a year and a half ago with her children, and the boy was playing basketball, and I had been playing basketball and uh, during my college years, and uh, he was looking for his ball, and he had came up and said whether he could have the key and look in our. A small garden and he didn't find it. Anyway, I told him uh, that uh, I was very happy that he was, that I could hear him uh, playing ba uh, basketball and he went back to his mother and told her about me and uh, before or just at the beginning of the, the, uh, of the uh, COVID scare, she called she rang the bell and she came halfway up the stairs and she said, um, my son has told me and uh, we talked a bit and she said, she told me a bit about herself. I told her a bit more about myself. And then all of a sudden she said, you know, um, my kids and I are always there if you need us. It blew my mind because none of my german neighbors had ever said anything in in the house i knew i could i can i can call and of course we help each other but none of the neighbors from anywhere around here uh came up with that clear statement hey we're here and that really 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 touched me mm. and again um 
she was born in Belgium. Her father is Russian Finnish. Her mother, I think, is Belgium. She's an IT specialist. So we had a lot of things to talk about in the beginning. And um, this is why I'm so happy because, of course, she's invited along with her a friend who is now living in our house. And um, I'm really, really looking forward to get to get those guys and girls together. Yeah, wonderful. Um, Karin, I, I, I look up and I see the time and we've already gone through the one hour barrier. And uh, it's it's uh, yeah, I, I think every single time we've spoken, I'm almost surprised when I see that we've gone through the one hour barrier without even noticing that mm -hmm. we have done so. So entertaining, is it in, indeed to hear these stories? I, I do like this idea where we sort of pick a word um, and then follow the journey, the natural journey that this word takes us to. Um, so yeah, I think you're onto something there. We'll f we'll find uh, other topics. I think oh. that um, the world around us will s will support us and deliver them. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I I also yeah and I you think. Have, yeah, sorry. You have to apologize if I go off on on uh, on a tantrum someplace uh, and go sideways and uh, move to um, to. <laughs> one-way roads and so on and so forth no, no, no. but it's this, fun it's this, fun yeah yeah and and this this podcast is the um yeah the epitome of of democracy because you you are completely free to do so um and uh, we like it i like it and uh, you know a lot of people who i've spoken to um you know very much appreciate your your insight and thoughts uh, on, on all of these topics um what, what would also be good would be to because i mean we both love books um so to, would be to mention some of the books that we have uh, that we're reading at the moment or, or that we have to read in our uh, you know in our lists of books uh, are you reading something at the moment that you'd like I'm, to i'm reading uh, again the second part of uh, margaret atwood's um handmade um um series of series of two i'm reading the testaments which is um the beginning of the end of the uh of gilead the the auto, uh, autocratic and anti-feminist and anti-women and anti-democracy and anti-everything uh country that developed in uh, as a theocracy in america because it uh, it fascinates me. Her first book, The Handmaid's Tale, was written in 1985, which basically gives us a guideline through what is happening in, in Afghanistan and or what happened in Afghanistan and may be happening, will be happening. Um, and the second one, The uh, Testaments, came out just a couple of years ago, and it's the the implosion of this uh, uh, res repressive uh, state and the uh, development into a more humane society. Um, and this is this is why I'm rereading re it. Um, I'll see what I read afterwards. In a, should know by next time or even before and I give you 
give you my uh, word. I'll, I'll give you a call mm -hmm. and tell you when I know what I'm going to read next time. Okay. All right. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, Margaret Atwood, I've made a note um, and um, I'm familiar with A Handmaid's Tale. I haven't read it, um, but um, I, I have now added it to my list. Um, I myself am reading a book called Woman in the Wilderness by uh, a Dutch lady called Miriam Lancewood, um, who it's, it's a true story. She she left uh, society to live in the mountains of New Zealand with her husband, um, a, a professor who decided to leave academia. And this is essentially the story of how they managed to overcome the leap from civilization to nature. And mm -hmm. it's a fascinating read. Um, and she has also wonderful insights. Um, so, yeah, I recommend that as well. Wonderful. Okay. I'll see what I can do, what I can find, come up with. Um, if if you have time, uh, read some of uh, Robert uh, Zetaler's books. They're easy to read. They're not 500 pages. Yeah. Um, there are uh, stories about people at the fringe of our society, and they're dealt with with care and with loving. Okay. So um, it's it's not uh, the the utopia. It's it's uh, making a go of what we have, so to speak. And his writing, I've, I've never felt that I was moving so smoothly to good literature as I do with him. Mm. Okay, Robert Zetaler. Is is he the uh, the Austrian author you were referring He's the to? Austrian, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. I have made a note. Karin, what can I say? Thank you very much for your time, your energy, your thoughts, um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to our next session already. My love to you and yours, all of yours. <laughs> you too. All the best. Um, all the best until then. And a mic.